Hello and happy week 13 in the NFL, everyone. This is Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group. And the guy over there in the Amherst basketball sweatshirt, he's telling us he had the best uh, jump shot you've ever seen. You know, just just a one man's point of view. Yeah, Greg Cosell of, the, <laughs> yeah, Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL matchup, and apparently the uh, you know the NBA. So you yeah you were uh, you were a bas- you were like basketball. You I was a play- basketball and baseball player. Yeah, you didn't I grew up football. in Queens in New York, and my high school did not have a football team, so I played basketball and baseball. And then you got into football, and that worked out pretty well. For I you. did, I did, yeah. and uh, yep. Got the job at NFL Films in 1979 and have been here ever since. That's amazing. Are you the longest tenured guy, I would imagine? I am. I'm, and I'm actually the second longest tenured employee in the entire NFL. Well, let's uh, use all that expertise uh, gained over all those years to talk about week 13 in the NFL. And, Greg, Thursday night is we're not messing around. Seattle Seahawks and Dallas Cowboys. And before I uh, let's let's talk about the Seahawks offense. And this week, Pete Carroll, OC Shane Waldron, and Geno Smith all said he needs to get the ball out faster. Um, there's a lot to unpack here, but I, the Seahawks have seven touchdowns and eight interceptions in, or seven touchdowns, seven interceptions and eleven personnel this year. Three touchdowns and no interceptions in twelve. Two tight ends instead of one. Much better in twelve. Two hundred and seventy-four attempts in eleven. Sixty-two attempts in twelves. Geno in 12, Geno Smith has a 119.9 passer rating in 12, 76.6, 79.6 passer rating in 11. And everyone involved is kind of saying he needs to get the ball out quicker. And what I think they mean by that, and I want to get your take on this, is that in 11, those interceptions, you watch him and he seems to be hitting his receivers late where the defenders can jump on that. That's It happened a lot. It happened uh, on the Ambry Thomas interception on Thanksgiving. So just when you watch the Seattle passing game right now and sort of the, I don't want to call it a schism, but the the move to more 11 with Jackson Smith and Jigba, you get him in the first round. You've got yeah. him, you've got Tyler Lockett. So obviously you're going to run more 11. That's what you've set up for. But what are you seeing from Seattle's passing game? Well, I think you have different concepts. See, that's the thing. We know that last year they played a ton out of 12 personnel. Um, and you had certain concepts you ran. They did a ton of boot action. They did a ton of of throws. Let's put it this way. Um, and again, not, none of this is 100%. So I don't want people to think that anything is 100%, Doug, because it's not, as you know. But I just don't want people to think that anything I'm saying means it's 100% of the time. Um, but you, you get a lot more throws that were one read or no read throws in their 12 personnel passing game. Mm. You saw a lot of that a year ago. So yeah. therefore, there's no reading per se. So he's, he's, he doesn't have to wait to see what happens. I can't tell you how many times last year, and I did a number of pieces last year in the matchup show on boot action where he either got the ball quickly into the flat to, let's say, Noah Fan, and because of the run action and the defensive response, Fan would be able to run for 25 yards, and it would be a, a quote-unquote explosive pass play on what's essentially a no-read throw. Yeah. Um, and they did a ton of that at a 12. Now, when you go to 11 personnel, which they almost are forced to because of where they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigman. By the way, he's a very talented player. Oh, yeah, he's a great player. Yeah, yeah he's a really good player. And that, that trio is like, wow. That's, yeah, that's a lot all your formations end up being different, okay, yep. because now – you know, Smith and Jigba, who's 
essentially the slot, not 100%, but essentially because Lockett can line up there as well. Um, and and Shane Walker has said for years, I want my guys to be sort of interchangeable. Right, right. Um, you know, Metcalf is going to be predominantly be your outside receiver. He's he's their boundary X for the most part. Um, so now you're, the way your, your receiver distribution and location, and I did that for you, your receiver distribution and location is different, and it creates – more reading is involved when you have an 11 personnel passing game. The boot action pass game is not the same. It's You don't do that as much. You don't do certain things that were essentially no read or one read uh, concepts. Now you have to read more. And mm-hmm. I think they're making a transition. And they're making the transition in the middle of the season. And yeah. that's hard to do. Um, but you know, Smith and Jigba obviously got hurt in the preseason, missed most of it, didn't mm-hmm. play much early in the season. So they stayed with 12. But over the last two, three weeks, it's pretty clear that they're evolving into much more an 11 personnel offense. And right. now that puts a different burden on Geno Smith. We don't want to say he can't do it, Doug. I don't, I don't want to go there. I know the numbers say, oh, he's not doing well, but it hasn't been a, a large enough sample size. They're making a transition in season. Um, right. You know, and I, and they don't get they didn't get the mini buy because they're playing Thursday night and they played last Thursday, so they didn't get the extra time where maybe they could have done more work with it. So the game Thursday night's going to be fascinating against an incredibly dynamic defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a really difficult defense to play against. Well, the zero to one read thing that you brought up, and I wrote an article about this that went up this morning, and I used another another one of your terms that I think Gino's struggling with a little bit: elimination, elimination, and isolation. Yeah, because there's more there's more involved. So yeah. now he has to he has to see it. I don't quicker, uh, and and then get it out quicker. Because obviously, if you're a beat late in the NFL, fractions matter in the NFL, and mm-hmm. if you're a beat late in the NFL, you're late, and that can you know that can pose problems just as far as incompletions. Uh, obviously, it's not as if he's throwing a ton of interceptions, but, you know, it just incompletions are the result. Um, yeah. And he has to, you know, he has to work through that as well because he hasn't been doing as much of that um, as a foundation of the pass game over the last year. So he has to work through all that as well. Well, and this is uh, la- the Niners, not a good team to work out your 11 personnel reps. They have the most interceptions against 11, 13 uh, of any team in the league. And the Cowboys have the lowest uh, passer rating allowed of 72.6. When you play a lot of dime, that happens. But when you play a lot of dime, you may be a little more vulnerable to those multiple tight end looks. And that's where they have a pass rating of 97 points. Well, they won't play dime. I mean, if they're right. gonna, if they're going to play 12 and 13 personnel, the Cowboys won't play dime. They'll play right. big nickel. That's their base defense. They rarely ever play what we normally consider base defense. Um, so right. they play big nickel to, to 12 and 13 personnel, particularly on early downs or normal down and distance situations. Um, but their pass rush and the way they use their players up front right. – they're, they're as multiple as any team in the league with their defensive fronts. They move everybody around. Yep. You know, everybody focuses on Parsons for good reason. He's the most dynamic pass rusher in the league in terms just of velocity and twitch. Um, we can debate who's the best pass rusher. That may be a different question. But he is the most explosive and sudden just in his movements. Um but they also have other players who move around a lot. Lawrence, Armstrong. I mean, Sam Williams can line up inside and outside. They um, they do a lot with Clark, number 33, the linebacker. He lines up on the ball, off the ball. You know, mm-hmm. they, they move people around so much. 
and they're really dynamic. And boy, do they look fast on tape. So this is yep. a challenge in a different way, um, in an added way, not a different way, an added way to to the challenge that um, um, Gino has. But the, the one thing that could theoretically could help is the Cowboys also play the highest percentage of man coverage in the NFL, and that makes the reading process easier because it, you're not working through zone concepts as to the timing and anticipation, what window to throw it through, at what time. So theoretically, that could make it a little bit easier. Yeah, that's a Dan Quinn thing. I remember when he was Seattle's DC, and I would be talking to Cliff Everill and Michael Bennett about how Dan like mixed up his players in the fronts. And Bennett told me, "Yeah, he's just an animal. He's crazy about <laughs> how he'll put things together." Moving to the Cowboys' passing game, uh, oh my goodness! Sometimes a buy really helps, Greg. Before their Week Seven buy, uh, Dak Prescott had completed 132 of 190 passes for 1,333 yards, six touchdowns, four interceptions, and a pass rating of 91.0. Since the week seven by 127 of 180 for 1,602 yards, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a pass rating of 124.8. And his completion percentage on deep balls is just insane. So I, I went through like just kind of the study since the bye. There's more play action, there's more motion, more full field concepts that Dak can exploit because he's such a good diagnostician of defenses. And I don't think we talk about that with him enough. And I know in the in the NFL, when you talk to people in the NFL, yeah, Dak is as good as anyone at that. But and I know we talked about this play yesterday. 35-yard uh, pass to tight end Jake Ferguson against the Commanders was one example. Cowboys had first and 15 at their own five-yard line. So as a quarterback, you better have faith in a deep seam ball. And are you, are you talking had, about the um, the 35-yarder? Yeah. Yeah. And Prescott said, attack tempo play, knowing we would catch them off guard. Caught him in cover two. They weren't quite right. The safeties, uh, Curl and Butler, got wide and then tried to, you know, compress it again. And he just had the thing read the whole way. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if if they knew by their formation that they were going to get that because they were in empty, but it was four by one, not three by two. So they were in quads. They were in a four by one set. So it wouldn't surprise me if they knew based on film study that in response to that, because you don't see a lot of four by one, that they knew that the commanders would default to cover two and that he knew that even pre-snap. Um, that would be my guess. You know, I don't know that for certain, but that would be my guess, Doug. And therefore, he 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 just had to confirm that as soon as he took the snap, but he didn't have to reread it. My, right. I feel pretty strongly that they knew they would get that coverage based on the, the, the formation, which as I said, was four by one, which is quads. And you know, you don't see that very often in the NFL. Right. But just the, the way he's, you know, the way, the way the whole thing is working right now is I, I don't think I've seen Dak play. Yeah, And also game. lamb, they've used him more, um, uh, uh, you know, he's he's lining up much more outside, including significant snaps at boundary X. Okay. Whereas last year he was predominantly a slot receiver. So, you know, with the new staff um, and Brian Schottenheimer is there now, you know, they've clearly made a decision to move Lamb around far more than the previous staff, and it's been very successful. Mm-hmm. The thing that Prescott said about the Ferguson play, confidence in that guy, confidence in that they, the guy to go make plays across the middle. And I think that's what you're watching in Prescott right now. And you can kind of tell when you watch a quarterback who's playing with confidence and he's got like everything is there. And it, No question. You can you can totally see it in the way he drops back and delivers the football. Yep. But, I, you know, all we were told a year ago is that he's an interception machine, Doug. So, what, you know, why are we even discussing this? Well, we don't want to watch the interception. <laughs> on that. No, we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, 
Here's an interesting game that we didn't think would be interesting a few weeks ago. The Denver Broncos, who have a five-game winning streak, oh, my gosh, against the Houston Texans. And in that five-game winning streak, the Broncos have the NFL's second-best opponent pass rating allowed, 72.2, behind only the Indianapolis Colts. Go figure. Um, we've mentioned the addition of quarterback Fabian Moreau replacing uh, Demari Mathis as a positive. And Jaquan McMillan, who we touched on briefly last week or a couple weeks ago, second-year undrafted free agent from East Carolina, go Pirates. Very pleasant surprise. Good match and carry slot defender who can stay sticky through his routes. I liked his interception against the Vikings. Had him working with Pat Sertan on a switch release, and he played it well. Jumped it to uh, the pass to Brandon Powell. It doesn't look like a big deal on tape. You know, it's like, oh, my God, what an amazing play. But you see these guys playing much more in concert on defense than in the first few weeks they're just getting blown out by everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think McMillan has been a major factor. He's really been a good slot corner for them, and that's it's settled them there because obviously they started the season. They weren't comfortable with who their slot corner was. Um, so he's really settled that. Um, you know, they've got three young guys as part of their pass rush group in um, – Browning, Benito, and Cooper, and they're yeah. all pretty explosive athletes, um, yep. you know, particularly Browning and Benito. I mean, Benito, I, I, I did him coming out of, of um, uh, Oklahoma, and I really liked his tape a lot. I thought he could be a really good edge rusher. They've used him a lot to spy as well. They've played teams in this five-game stretch. He spied versus Mahomes. He spied versus Allen. That's clearly part of what they do, um, you know, Singleton is a guy who plays literally every snap and linebacker, and he's he flies around the field. I mean, he makes a lot of plays. Um, and they've got a veteran safety in Simmons who's a very, very good player. So they've actually got good players on defense. Um, you know, I like what they do in their, in their sub packages with, with that pass rush. It's, it's those three studs plus Zach Allen, who's a very good player. Um, so, you know, it's it's – I think it was a matter early on. They had a new coordinator in Vance Joseph, who's been in the league for a lot of years. It's not his first rodeo. And they probably needed to figure some things out with what he had because these, you know, some of these guys are young players. So you got to figure all this out. They didn't have a slot corner. They didn't know about Cooper Browning and Benito. I mean, these are things that as the season progresses, you figure out. Now, the turnovers, you know, I, I never know what to make of turnovers. You can't count on that. Um, right. But they're playing solid defense and they've got the best corner in the game in Patrick Sertan. So, you know, that, that, that helps too. Yeah. It's good if you have that. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched the Broncos offense a lot. So you just kind of thumbnail what has been your impression during this streak. And because we have, uh, they, seen... they've turned to a running game, basically. It's not yeah. really a Russell Wilson offense. They run the football. Um, and, and it's interesting that they do that because I think Sean Payton is telling you what their offense is, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson with his with his history, people think, oh, it's Russell Wilson. You know, he's the guy. But that's not waiting. That's not the way they're playing offense. In fact, over the last four or five games, they have clearly been a running football team and not a passing football team. Coaches will tell you what they think by how they. uh, That is correct. That's something you told me years ago. Uh, okay, uh, let's get into this one. Niners and Eagles. Here we go. And before we get into this matchup specifically, um. Brian Johnson of the Eagles and Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers, two of the best at this. This is more of a general discussion, which we always like to do. When we talk about an offensive coordinator setting plays up for other plays or thinking six plays ahead, like, oh, he's using, you know, chestnut checkers. What do we mean by that? What, you know, using the sequential play calling, what, what does that actually mean? Well, what, what good, I think Kyle Shanahan's among the best in the league at this. Um, I, I think what good coordinators do is they see the game 
as a process, not as a, a series of just individual plays. So through the use of personnel, formations. Now with the Niners, it's mostly formation because personnel in normal down and distance, they're heavy 21 personnel, which not a lot of teams are. So they play with a fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, um, in normal down and distance a very high percentage of the time. But what Kyle Shanahan does, he goes through a process early in the game. He's so diverse formationally at a 21 personnel and with his use of different motions that he wants to see how a defense reacts to all that. Okay, and then there's people upstairs in the booth charting all that. And then they let him know, okay, hey, coach, every time we line up in this particular formation, let's say they do it three or four times through their first two series. Hey, we've gotten the same look from the defense every time. So now Kyle Shanahan banks that, and he knows that, hey, maybe in the third quarter in a critical high leverage situation, he knows what the defensive reaction will be when he lines up in that formation. So that's what, you know, I believe that's what good coordinators do is they glean information based on their use of personnel, their use of formations, their use of motions. They're looking to see what the defensive reaction will be. Because keep in mind, on both sides of the ball, really, there's not a thousand things that you can ask people to do. They can't play that way. So, you know, when a team goes against the Niners with, with all the formation diversity and motions, they're not going to have 25 different responses because sure. the players can't handle that. So, and it's not, and, and again, I don't want people to think I'm saying players are stupid. It's just, that's too much material in too short a period of time. So right. now maybe they handle it in two or three ways at most. Um, and I always come back to, to Rod Rust, as you know, sat with me for five years and he, he started out his career as a defensive coach, which he, he was in the NFL as well. And I highly respected one. And he said, man, when I started out coaching, I, I wanted to, you know, sh show that I knew a lot. And I tell my defense, Hey, when we get this look, we're going to do this. When we get this look, we're going to do this. When we get this look, we're going to do this. And then he said, I realized I was being ridiculous. The players can't do that. They can't, res they can't have 20 different things they're going to do in response. It just happened to too quickly for you to do Yeah, that. it happens too quick. So defenses have specific responses, and offenses try to figure that out uh, through the use of personnel formation and motion. And then they learn. They're, they're, they're investigating. They're researching. And then as the game goes on, they know how the defense reacts. I mean, a great example, and this they know because they play Seattle a lot, and they also know this player's been in the league a long time. But against Seattle in the last game that they played, um, they did an unbelievable job of actually causing confusion for, for um, um, uh, Wagner, Bobby Wagner, who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer yep. and a great player and as smart as they come. But if you watch that tape, you saw they did a number of things, and Wagner – his his eye discipline was off. He just he wasn't seeing it with the speed and clarity that he normally sees it because of what the Niners do. And if you can fool Bobby Wagner, you're on to something, that's for sure. Okay, Eagles Niners. Uh Eagles point differential in the first half of the season, minus four. Eagles point differential in the second half and in overtime plus sixty-eight. They've trailed at the half in each of their last four games. They've won them all, tied for the longest streak since at least two thousand per ESPN. Hertz has been I don't want to recite stats for five minutes. Kurtz has been much better in the second half and overtime than in the first half. And to, to try and make a, more of a simplistic question, why has the Eagles offense been a slow starter this that's season? That's a hard, I mean, that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't, I, I'm being honest. I, I really don't have a specific answer to that. Um, you know, obviously they game plan and they feel that what's going to happen early is going to be good. And it has. Well, let's, let's break it down to this. In the, against the Bills in the first half, he was four of 11 for 33 yards and an interception that was tipped. In the second half, 14 of 20 for 167 and three touchdowns. So let's let's break it down to the Bills game. Let's go a little macro. Like, what yeah, did you see but in then the I think game? you have to look at specific plays. I right. mean, you know, I would say that Jalen Hurts this year, more so than last year, and again, I can't tell you why, but I would say more so than last year, Hurts has been a little quick to leave the pocket. So okay. I think there's throws he leaves on the field. Now, he can make great runs. We know that. But I think he's been a little quick to leave the pocket. So I think there are throws he does leave on the field. Um there's no way to gauge within the context of what you're asking when he runs outside the pocket and throws the touchdown to Zacchaeus in the second half. That's a second reaction movement play. That's a phenomenal play by both players. You know, it's just a high level play by Hertz, a ridiculously good throw. There was not a lot of room there. And Zacchaeus, who's not a big guy going up and getting it. Uh, you know, I don't know how you, you quantify that in the context of, well, gee, their offense is now better in the second half. I right. will say this. Their, their first touchdown drive of the second half, and I'm not going to sit here and recite plays, but their first touchdown drive of the second half that began with a DeAndre Swift 36-yard run was as brilliantly called as, as, a, as a drive can be. And again, I'm not going to go through each and every play, right. and people can take a look at it if they want, but the right. way the plays worked off one another. And well, I was going to say, was that an example of that sequential thinking we were talking about? Yeah, exactly. And the way that, you know, the way that they were able to do that and get the defensive reaction that they likely anticipated. Um, but I thought that was just brilliantly put together. It ended, of course, with the three yard touchdown to A.J. Brown. But, you know, that that to me, that drive was a really great example of of brilliant play calling and execution and you know, but but other plays are just individual plays, and right. and sometimes those happen too. Yeah, matchup I'm looking forward to most. Uh, not really, you know, breaking news here. San Francisco's defensive line, the front seven, really, uh, front six against the front six, which is arguably the yeah. best in football. Yeah, against Eagles offensive line. And speaking of first ballot Hall of Famers, Greg, I the last few weeks I've just been like fixated on Jason Kelsey. I think he might be playing the best football of his career. Yeah, and well, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, and well, he, is, he is no question. He yeah. is unbelievable. You know, I got asked the other day, and I know you're a historian as well. Um, I got asked the other day, you know, are there centers that he reminds me of? And two, you know, I got asked this out of the blue, so it's not as if somebody said, "I'm going to ask you that question." And the two guys who immediately came to my mind because they were both highly athletic as well were Kevin Mawai and Dermonte Dawson. And they're both Hall of Famers as well, because um, I can picture both guys getting outside and doing the kinds of things that Jason Kelsey does. Um, I think I saw Mawai more than Dawson for some reason. And I can actually, I can absolutely see that one. Yeah. yeah, but I mean Kelsey's just a great, great player. And by the way, he allows them to do a number of things that they do. You know, I mentioned that thirty-six yard run by Swift. You know, the Bills, and and just to just to get into the weeds a little, maybe you'll you'll get have an opportunity to show the run. Um, the Eagles were in a three by one. Um, Actually, it was four by one, but I mean, they 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 were strong to the right side of the formation. The Bills are are an over front, which means that their line is shifted to the strength of the offense. So the three technique is to the strength of the offense, and the one technique is in the gap to the weak side. So they knew 
that what that's what the Bills were. So they called an outside zone run. That's what the swift play was. But because of, of the front, they blocked it a little differently. They had Dickerson, the left guard, blocked down on the one technique, and Kelsey fold around him to work up to the second level. Okay, okay. it's still outside zone. They just block it. The front dictates how you block it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just watch Kelsey move, and it's just – it's unbelievable, you know, for a guy – you know, because he's not tall. You know, it's not like he's a, you know, you watch some great athletes move. Like when you watch Trent Williams move, it's ridiculous, oh. but he's also tall. So it yeah. just looks different. Kelsey's not 6'4 or 6'5. So, you know, it, but the way he moves is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Well, Trent Williams is an aircraft carrier who moves like a speedboat. <laughs> you don't get a lot of those guys. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm not an offensive line guru like like our, you know, Brandon Thorne or Duke Mannyweather. Those guys right. know it like, I mean, they, they teach me. Um, yeah. But I'd be hard pressed to find two better left tackles in this league than Trent Williams and Laramie Tunsil. I've been watching a ton of Texans, as I'm sure you have, because, you know, I, f- I want to watch Stroud every week. And Tunsil is so, so good as well. Well, we're going to get into Tunsil and Jacksonville's defense in a minute because that's interesting. Um, so, especially since they traded for Chase, and we did, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Niners have shown all kinds of weird. With the, you know, they have the overload with Warner as the three. We know that, but they've had multiple plays, and they're really kind of starting to span this in which Young and Nick Bosa are inside, and Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead or Eric Armstead, the tackles are aligned outside. And they're doing these in some different, you know, they're messing with the spacing and really gacking at the protections. So I, I don't know if Lane Johnson will play with that groin injury. Yeah, we don't know Jack, that. Yeah, how did Jack Driscoll do? Because I didn't get to uh, He struggles. He struggles in one-on-one yeah. protection. And that could be an issue in this game if he plays. Um, yeah, the Niners do that on occasion. The thing they do far more of, Doug, is the loaded front where they yep. have three defensive linemen to one side of the center, and they often mug up uh, Fred Warner opposite the load, and that eats up the, the guard to that side, and they love bringing Bosa from the load side um, on long stunts into the A-gap. And yep. if that backside guard that Warner kind of controls is not available to help, that is really, really difficult to deal with. Over. Over. Uh, so I saw your uh, NFL matchup compadre, uh, Darius Butler, breaking this play down on the Pat McAfee show. So I'm kind of wondering if it would be a matchup. The Brock Purdy touchdown to Brandon Ayuk against the Seahawks. I feel like I could talk about this play for 20 minutes. Oh, you it mean was- the 28-yard, 29-yarder? Yeah, the touchdown to Ayuk. Yeah, I mean, that. see, if I could just, you know. Good God. There's so many here's things. Here's the way a lot of people think about the quarterback position. They think that the guys who run around make wow plays and and they do. There's no question. You know, that's why there's the talk, you know, about Caleb Williams. And that's, you know, what we always talk about with Mahomes, the Josh Allens, the guys who, the Lamars, the guys who run around and make plays. And that's not a negative. I don't want people to think I'm saying it's a negative, but they don't quite see anticipation throws as wow throws they, you know when you're watching on tv you don't see that you just see well that's a really good throw and it doesn't seem like anything special it just seems like well that's what quarterbacks do they drop right. back they throw from the pocket and they make some good throws but no, 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 no. <laughs> but i you know i was watching that you know with my clicker and you know what i love to do a lot is to to freeze it right when a quarterback starts to separate his hands because that's that's when you can really see timing and anticipation. And Ayuk hadn't even begun his break yet. And and we're not talking about a six-yard ball. You know, oh. we're talking about a ball down the field. 24 and, air yards. 
Right. So, and the other thing too is he put it right on his hands. I worked yes. with with two guys who played quarterback, um, you know, on the matchup show, and you know, they tell me because obviously I didn't play quarterback, but I've been doing this a long time, and we're taught by really smart people to be able to throw it before a guy makes his break mm-hmm. and put it right on his hands. Boom. Yeah. I mean, Kurt Warner was a master at that in the Rams offense with Mike, the Mike Martz offense, you know, mm-hmm. throwing those dig balls that, you know, way before Isaac Bruce or Torrey Holt made their break. And, and he'll tell you that he said, that's how he built, he could build houses because he could throw that, that pass, <laughs> you know, um, but that is, see to me, and maybe I'm a cure, quarterback purist and I'm sure people on Twitter will tell me I'm a, you know, a dinosaur and I don't, you know, I'm not up with the, pr- the present day game and all that stuff. But to me, that's a wow. It's a, it's a different kind of wow than watching Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but it's still a wow. There were several wows. And this is the way I saw it. It looked to me here like his progression was use check, use check to the left flat out of motion, then Kittle on the over route. And then Ayuk on what, I, I don't know what that route was like a deep Texas route, like an angle where he worked uh, Devin Witherspoon on that angle. Purdy had Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner playing games over the middle with exchanging looks. So this was also an instance where it looked like too high, and then it went to cover three. Just so much to work through that short amount of time, and the throw to Ayuk was a banger in my notes. He had to short hop it also because of pressure. He had pressure coming here and pressure here. So it was like that Stroud thing we talk about where he doesn't need to stride to make those bang-on throws. But he hit Ayuk in stride 24 yards downfield as Witherspoon and Love were converging. I mean, Yeah, I mean, ultimately, ultimately it was not a difficult concept. What, what it was mini boot action, okay? Mini right. boot left to the boundary. Um, and yeah, he was floating that way. Yeah, the, the Seahawks they went late rotation from split safety to cover three, mm-hmm. so it was a double post concept to the field. So he, he he boots to the boundary, and it was a double post concept to the field with Kittle the inside post and Ayuk the outside post. So yeah. basically, he's that he, he because of Kittle. It becomes one on one for Ayuk on the outside, um, so he kind of knew that. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't a. It probably wasn't a difficult read in the in a strict sense. It's just a really difficult throw. Those yeah. are two different things. Well, yeah, I I get that. It, what? But how many guys do you see with him? He's basically been a starter for a year. He's going one, two, three. Well, he's got that. That's. He has two things that are innate to him, which has allowed him to become Brock Purdy in the NFL. One is he's an incredibly quick processor of information. Um, I, I can't tell you how many plays of late rotation I see disguised in late rotation where in an instant he knows exactly what just changed and the, the primary read before the rotation is no longer the primary and now he knows exactly what the new primary is. And don't forget this all happens in, in less than a second and he sees that instantaneously. So he's an incredibly quick processor. And the other thing is this innate natural feel for timing and anticipation. Those two things are innate to him and it's one reason he he's been able to come in and play at a high level quickly and if that was a post by Ayuk it looked like a, an altered post because Withers yeah it wasn't a, I mean he, he took he it inside a little more why it was more of an angle so it, there was yeah. some disruption on his route right probably because of the coverage you know yeah. but um but no that was big big time throw but it was it was basically yeah. a double post concept I mean you're you're working to to create you know, it all depends on, on what the say. They went to cover three, and he saw that, and then he knew he could throw it to Ayuk. Right. But you still – you have to go from left to right all the way across. It's yeah. Just- oh, no, I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. 
because we see a lot of guys who cannot do it. No, no. And some guys might not even have seen that as a viable throw. Yeah, exactly. Or you throw it to, well, you probably throw it to Kittle and just hope it would be George Kittle. Uh, Chiefs at Packers. The Detroit Lions played 23 snaps in man coverage against Jordan Love on Thanksgiving. They played 149 snaps in man coverage all season up to that point. Jordan Love against man coverage this season uh, has thrown eight touchdowns. Only Josh Allen has more with nine, one interception, and a passer rating of 91.6. The Chiefs are really good in man. I Against the Lions, uh, I'm sure you saw this. Love had that 37-year-old. 30, I'm like you. I never know whether it's an option or an RPO. It looked like an RPO where Alex Anzalone crashed in in man, and he just went zoop for 37 yards. So when the Chiefs are, you know, Spags is doing all that cute, like, here's my slot blitzer and here's Mike Dana dropping, they got to watch out for the run game too. Well, that was at the end of the game. You're talking about the 37-yard run? Yeah. Yeah, that was at the end of the game when, when you know, they were just trying to squeeze everybody inside, figuring they were going to get a handoff. Um, right. But um, I think Love has, has really – He's progressed nicely. I think he'll always be the kind of quarterback. I think that you, you know, he might throw a couple of bad picks that you scratch your head, but I think that he's clearly progressed. It's his first year as a starter. You got to remember, he's playing with two second-year receivers and three first-year receivers as well, and he's a yep. first-year starting quarterback. And by the way, an offensive line in which the two tackles are not the two tackles that they expected to start the year with. They have right. Zach Tom at right tackle, and they've been playing predominantly. Um, Rashid Walker at left tackle, although Neiman has played a little bit as well, and he's been there, but but again, he's not a true starting NFL left tackle. So, you know, his development has really, you know, we live in a world where people want it to happen like that, and if it doesn't happen like that, people think he's no good. You know, you'd have to expect there to be incremental improvement and peaks and valleys and ups and downs, and that's the way his season has been, but I think for the most part, he's improved and progressed very nicely. He, you know, he's a decisive thrower. He, This is not an X and O point, Doug, but I think you would agree. I think he looks like an NFL quarterback when you watch his tape. I mean, you don't watch him and go, oh, boy, this guy's no, tough no, no, to watch. No. This guy looks like an NFL quarterback. He's not struggling. In the increments, uh, one thing I, I was reading the transcripts and kind of watching plays, and th- this lined up for me. Uh, the first of his three touchdowns against the Lions, uh, 12-21 left in the first quarter. Uh, Ten-yarder to Jaden Reed from the outside left slot and trips with Christian Watson to the left inside slot. And that's where the geometry got interesting. Uh, Love said after again, we messed that up. Christian wasn't supposed to be right where he was at. He was supposed to run a slant. You're talking about that touchdown to to Reed? Yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a Dino, a double no, slant. No, no, yes. I think Watson screwed that up. I, he you did. Know. Yeah. Look, Love said after the game, he didn't say he screwed it up. The point is, Watson engaged Kirby Joseph, ran outside from there. Reed had to navigate all that stuff in the middle, which he did quite nicely. Love, So Love had to read that from the outside, like, what the hell's going on now? Pinpoint throw was excellent, and you could see Watson put his hand, his hands on his head right after the play, like oops. And I oh yeah, no, way, I, I, I know like it's love navigated. He, he ran like, the wrong route because he was yeah, almost right in the passing lane. Right. So yeah, he screwed up the whole thing, and Love was just like calm, like I can still do this. I can still make this throw. Again, another guy who started for a year, and you see these sort of the. Now, it's not just what you see on the field. It's, you know, you read stuff and you listen to people and these mental, uh, you know, the acuity development comes out and that's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I still think he needs to work a little bit on his mechanics. He's a little sure. loose, um, yeah. you know, a little loose with his lower body. Sometimes he's loose with the ball, but you know, those are things you can work on. Um, uh, but 
for the most part, I think he's improving incrementally. There'll be still be some downs. You know, I don't want people to think hearing me talk that, oh, man, if he has a bad game this week and you said he's great. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I think that he has what it takes to be a quality starter, but there'll still be some ups and downs in this game. I think, yeah, his feet don't always match his, you know, his, the way I put it with some quarterbacks, his upper and lower body seem to be having an argument at times. And Sometimes. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll get that together. Um, let's see. We've gone deep on some things. So I want to move to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who we really haven't talked about at all, 9-3. and three. When we talk about the AFC's best teams right now or the hardest to, like, deal with, Mm, hello. So Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky did a nice job on ESPN this week of breaking down how the Jaguars disrupt with pick or ricochet stunts and widening the splits with spacing, putting their IDLs over the tackles and four-eye looks with the edges outside. They will also selectively blitz their light linebackers, uh, Foyasadi Olokun and Devin Lloyd. And they have a really good sense with Mike Caldwell, their DC, of when to present blitz looks into coverage drops. Uh, Allen's two, Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen's two sacks against CJ Stroud. Um, the first one came with Olakun and Lloyd mugging left guard Juice Scruggs, the left, yeah. Came a six man pressure with Olakun dropping and Lloyd occupying Tunsil while Allen came off the left, left edge unblocked. At the same time, safety Trey Hernan blitzed from the other side on a delay from slot depth. And the second one, uh, Allen was to Tunsil's outside shoulder. Defensive tackle Angela Blackman was to Scruggs's outside shoulder. Blackson occupied Scruggs, and then Allen just made a great play, slipping through Tunsil and Scruggs and chasing Stroud down. So this is a defense that can get after the quarterback in multiple ways. Stroud had pressure on uh, some sort on 28 of his 46 dropbacks in that game. He was never comfortable. No, he was never comfortable in that game. This was the first game, you know, where he was uh, not comfortable. I thought they really did a good job in the secondary as well, mixing and matching coverages. Um, they, they selectively blitz. They're not necessarily high percentage blitz. They selectively blitz. But I thought they did a good job on the back end. It took away Stroud's first and second reads. He had to move more than in any game this season. Um, yep. I didn't get the sense he truly ever got in rhythm in this game. Because um, it yeah, wasn't there, just pressure. It was different kinds of pressure, and that can really mess up a quarterback even more. It's not like four-man fronts and you're just, your offensive line is getting beat. It's like, oh, now he's over here. Oh, crap. That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I will say this. I mean, you know, in watching a lot of tape, and I'm just being honest, I don't, I don't think it's stuff that no one's ever seen before. No. You know, it's, it's when you do it, it's who's doing it. Um, but it's not, wow, I never saw that pressure before. Oh, no, it's life. not that. It's not like yeah. I've never seen it before. It's like, okay, now I have to adjust to this, and I have to adjust to this. And it's not, you know, if my guys aren't picking those different things up, it becomes more. Yeah, there were too many free rushers this week at, at yes. Stroud, and that, which is not on Stroud, that's on the protection. Um, and, and, and there were some that came on four-man zone exchange concepts, which are inexcusable. So right. I put that more on the Texans than I do on the Jaguars doing anything special because it's a four-man rush. It's just a right. zone exchange. You know, you can't let a free rusher go on those on a four-man rush. Well, um, Allen's first sack that I just talked about, he came in. I mean, no one was there. No one blocked him. And, and nope. he's he's an edge player and, and one of the better pass rushers in the league. I um, think I've heard but, that he's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, but they're, um, you know, it probably would surprise a lot of people that they're the second or third best third down defense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I think they do that with a mix of pressure and, and coverage. I, one player I really like on their defense, and I've liked him for a couple of years, and I think he he's one of those guys that I think is multidimensional in what he gives you, and and, and that's the safety Rashawn Jenkins. Mm -hmm. I think he's a really good player. Yep. Um, he's long. He's athletic. He can play on the back end. He's really good in the box. Um, he's um, got pretty good range. 
I think he's just one of those guys no one talks about, but I think he's really important to what they do. I remember when they got him from the Chargers a few years ago, and I watched his take because, you know, what I do is partially this guy signs as a free agent or this guy gets traded. You have to, you know, grade the trade or whatever. So I watched his tape, and I'm like, man, they, this guy, he's interesting. So I watched him coming out of the U, and I really liked him. And, you know, a lot of people, the draft gurus said, oh, no, you know, he's he's not nothing special. You know, I love when I hear people say, well, there's no, no, nothing special. There's no wow factor. What does that even mean? How many wow factors, how many <laughs> transcendent players are there that have a wow factor? I mean, you know, there's very few of those guys. There's yeah. a lot of guys in this league who are really good players, or, or let's put it this way, really important to teams in their schemes that are not going to be Hall of Famers, but they're just good players. You know, there's more of those guys than, oh, my God, that guy's a wow. You know, well, let's put, yeah, let's put it this way, Greg. If you're the Carolina Panthers right now and you can choose between one wow offensive player and three really good offensive players, which ones would you take? Three. Um, yeah. Or yeah, as many but as I mean, possible. you know, so, you know, Jenkins is just a really good player and the way they use him, you know, it, you know, makes that better because, you know, he's got length and he's got movement. He's a good player, um, yep. you know, so and then you could, you know, and Aluakon, he's a really good player, too. Yep. So, you know, I have a very, bunch of those very underrated guys. Atlanta and he's brought that all over. I'll tell you, the other guy that shows up every time I watch their tape is Robertson Harris, number yes. 95. Yes, thank you. See, he's another one of those guys. He's just a really nice player. You know, I mean, you need those guys. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we bail out of here and you go narrate NFL matchup, I wanted to mention Jacksonville's offense. It's fun. A lot of motions at the snap, switch releases to get guys open. Lawrence is delivering the ball in time and on rhythm. He's taking care of that stride issue you discussed with Doug Peterson worked on him, but they're scheming guys open nicely. The 47-yard completion to Christian Kirk with 10 seconds left in the first half against the Texans. Mesh underneath and Kirk running an over against Tavier Thomas. This is a great way to beat the Texans too. I safety looked at flip to deep cover three because Cook, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk took Jalen Petrie to his side, and Ridley took DeAndre Houston Carson up the fade route to the other side. I like, I just like the way in which Doug Peterson and Press Taylor are setting things up for all kinds of, I don't want to say explosive plays in high air yard content, but just explosive plays from different things, and it can be short, intermediate, and long. It's a multidimensional yeah. offense. Yeah, they, on that play, the Texans kind of, well, they went cover one robber. Boundary safety, uh, Petrie was the robber, and Kirk just ran the deep over versus the slot corner and just ran away from him. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they, they started the, uh, the their second, third quarter possession with, with the Ridley 45-yard play, which is, you know, just kind of a basic – it's a shot play concept. It's conventional play action, meaning the quarterback's under center, and it was a post-cross combination. Ridley ran the deep crosser. Um, you know, so, you know, I think their, I think their pass offense is good. Um, the, they're going to have to – get more out of their run game. They're near the yeah. bottom of the league running the ball and it's not been very good. Yeah. And that's an adjustment they can make. Well, Greg, as always, awesome stuff. A lot of stuff to look for. A lot of things to look forward to. Yeah, we, we, we went through a lot of stuff today, Doug. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I could have done 10 more things. That's always the way it is. Uh, as always, super, super work, Mr. Purcell. And we'll be talking more X's and O's next week. Thanks, Doug. <laughs>